You're listening to audio from Mountain View Church, located in Murphy, North Carolina. If you'd like more information, you can find us at www.mtnvu.org or on Instagram and Facebook at Mountain View Church NC. Over the last several weeks, thousands upon thousands of churches, both in our country and around the world, have essentially transformed into virtual communities where people have been able to access either the service of their own church or services from multiple other churches. And as we've kind of progressed through this time, I know that for many it's simply become another convenience to go to church to essentially have church on demand as if we were watching Netflix. And to be honest, it's easy to do online church, right? You don't necessarily have to get up and get dressed. You don't have to get out the door. You can brew a cup of coffee, stay in your PJs, sit right down on the couch, and just watch. Well, it's kind of led me over the past couple of weeks anyway, as I've thought about us coming back together in this room, to consider why it is we do this. In other words, why is online church not enough? Why is that not sufficient for who God has called us to be and what God has called us to do as the body of Christ? And so for the month of June, as we kind of begin to come back together and get back into a rhythm and hopefully a new routine, I want us to just ask and answer the question, why? This morning we're going to start by reflecting on a passage in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 12, and I want to insist this morning that fundamentally we gather for worship as a body to hear from God. We gather as a body to hear from our Creator and our Redeemer. Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they had heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and all who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his right hand, um, on his right hand, and uh, Padiah, Mishael, Malkajah, Hasham, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. 
And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and he opened it, and all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, hold on a second, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who, is, uh, who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Father, I pray that you would bless just the simple reading and hearing of your word this morning. As your Holy Spirit moves among us, your people today, taking the seed of the word and planting it in our hearts, I pray that you'll produce a harvest, produce fruitfulness in us, the kind that glorifies Jesus and that demonstrates his cross-shaped love to those you've placed around us. We just ask all of these things in his name. Amen. Now, we're in the book of Jeremiah toward the end of the book. And up until this point, the story has essentially been about the rebuilding of the broken down wall around Jerusalem. If you'll remember, if you know anything about the book of Nehemiah, you'll remember that Nehemiah, way back in the beginning of the book, requested of the king that he be sent back to Jerusalem to repair what was in ruins. Well, by this time in the story, the wall around Jerusalem has been rebuilt. But the problem is the people of Jerusalem have not been rebuilt. And so here, Ezra the priest and Nehemiah the governor gather all of the people of the city of Jerusalem together. And what do they do? They bring out the scriptures, the the law of God, the first five books of the Old Testament. And Ezra simply proceeds to read the scriptures in the presence of the people. And this particular gathering of God's people has several things to teach us this morning, several things to challenge us with in terms of why it's important that you and I gather on a weekly basis to hear from God. The first is this, and it's very simply put in Nehemiah 8.1. Nehemiah writes, And all the people gathered as one man into the square. Brothers and sisters, we gather in this room to hear from God because God has united us. Even as the people who gathered in that 
place after the exile of Israel, we gather here today because God has united us in Christ Jesus. Paul says as much in Ephesians chapter 2 beginning in verse 19. He says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Again, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13, for just as the body is what? Do you remember? One, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. Kind of pulling from both of those passages, we see that the New Testament teaches that you and I are united in Christ as citizens of one holy city, the kingdom of God. We are brothers and sisters of one holy household who share one father, who have one older brother in Christ Jesus. We share one faith and one confession of faith. And that is salvation in Jesus Christ. We are stones in one holy temple. We are one body. We share one spirit. And folks, we're one because God took the initiative to reconcile us to himself through His one and only Son. Ephesians 2 verses 13 to 16 speak to this directly. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace, who has made us, made us both one, And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might, listen to this, create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You and I were united not only to Christ through the precious power of the Holy Spirit, but when that happened, you and I became eternal family with one another. We became His when the gospel word came home to our hearts in Holy Spirit power. And now, as one people, united to Christ and united to one another through His Spirit, we gather to hear from our Father, to receive from our King and our Comforter. Now why, why is 
physically gathering with a local church to hear from God so vitally important. In other words, just as I asked in the beginning, why is online church ultimately insufficient even though I'm thankful for the benefit it has provided us during this season? You and I gather to hear from God in a space like this because God uses the gifts of others to speak to us. And, and you and I need the gifts of others in the local church. The, the gifts of those like Ezra and the other Levites. The leadership gifts of those like Nehemiah who gathered the people to execute this rebuilding project and gathered the people in order to rebuild them. You and I need the gifts of those who know us and can minister to God's truth to us right where we are. I had an ear infection about six weeks ago, and I just used a teledoc, okay? It was easy. It was convenient. Uh, it kept me out of the doctor's office waiting room uh, during this season, which I was thankful for. But what if it was a more serious condition? What if it were a condition connected with other issues that only my doctor who knew me would know about? What if it required a more careful physical exam? See, a teledoc in those circumstances isn't quite going to do it. You have to go in so that the doctor can see you face to face, talk to you, examine you physically, and determine by close personal contact perhaps what's going on. It's a picture of why we do this. Because it's not just about receiving through a camera and via a screen. It's about being connected to a body of believers who know you and among whom you are known and among whom you can receive a word not just given to the masses but given to whom? To you and to this body of believers. We also gather as a people because, let's face it, it, it inconveniences us. It requires us to get up and to get dressed, to get everyone out of the door on time. It requires us to meet in the same room with people we might not otherwise have a relationship with outside of the local church. It requires us to sometimes sing songs we don't prefer or to listen to a sermon that doesn't necessarily seem to immediately connect with things we're facing. In other words, listen, gathering regularly with one another reminds us this, that this thing called church isn't really about us. It's about God's worth. It's about His Glory. It's about his calling on our lives. It's about recognizing that being among God's people is a greater joy than my convenience. In short, it's about submitting ourselves week in and week out to this act, which is an act of humility. We gather to hear from God on Sundays 
ultimately with the goal of being the kind of people who are attentive to his voice throughout the week. What we do in this room is in a real sense rehearsal for our Monday through Saturday lives. Listen, God's calling upon your life and my life as everyday disciples of the Lord Jesus is to become good listeners good listeners of God's word while we're together so that while we're apart, we can continue to be good listeners of God's word. So that you and I are more attuned to his voice when we move from Sunday morning to Monday morning. And you know what? We tune in together on Sunday mornings so that when we scatter back into our homes and back into our small groups and back into our Bible studies, we can encourage one another to keep on listening. To tune in to God's voice. You know, maybe your listening for God's voice throughout the week would improve if you made listening to his word among his people on Sundays a top priority. Over the last several weeks, the Barna Group, which does a lot of research within the larger Christian community, conducted uh, a broad and sweeping research on online church. And in the beginning... Even our church's numbers were skyrocketing in terms of the weekly views of our services. I mean, for the first few weeks, we had over a thousand views. But you know what happened around week four and five and six and seven and eight? You know what Barna found? That over the last four weeks, I think they were particularly looking at the four weeks of April, only 52% of regular churchgoers watched any online church. Any. Only 40-something percent of those who actually watched, watched their own church. Roughly 23% of those who watched, watched another church. So we not only kind of fell into complacency, we essentially started treating church as if it were Netflix. And look, you probably saw what I did. You could scroll through Facebook on any Sunday morning over the last couple of months and you would come across dozens of church services. So why not just tune in to the one that suits you, to the one that has better video or audio quality, to the one that features better musicians or songs that we want to hear or more encouraging, uplifting, and inspiring messages, right? All of a sudden, before you even know it, church has become less about God and more about what? You. Me. But when the people gathered in Nehemiah's day to attend to the Word of God and to attend ultimately through the Word to the voice of God, that's exactly what they did. And when you and I gather in this room to hear from God, it might not always be a word we want to hear. It might not always necessarily be a word we think we need to hear. But what if God knows better what you need than you do?
an act of humility to place ourselves under the word and to trust that God does know better what we need than we do. So Nehemiah writes, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law that the Lord had commanded Israel. Now I want you to notice that the feature of this entire passage is the bringing forth and the reading and the explaining of what? The Word of God. It's a reminder to us that the central feature of our worship is not to be our voices, but the voice of whom? The Lord. You see, we gather to hear from God because God is the defining voice in our story. The wall around Jerusalem had been rebuilt, and now, as I said earlier, it was time to rebuild the people. So what did they do? They had Ezra bring out the defining document, the essential constitution of the nation of Israel, the Torah, the first five books. This was their story of salvation from Egyptian slavery and God's promise to take them as his people. The story of their rebellion against God and God's commitment to them. The story of God's intention to make them into a people who looked more like him and less like the false gods that they were so tempted to run after. The story detailing exactly what it looked like for them to then live as God's saved and chosen people. And if you want to summarize the rest of the Old Testament after book 5, it's essentially commentary on the first five books. You see, the God who had rescued Israel and made them his own is the same God who had preserved that story in his word for future generations of his people. So that each successive one could be reminded of their identity and of God's expectations for them. And so, when on this day, the people of Israel gathered, those who had come back from exile, it was God's word to God's people that was brought and set before them. Now this is a vitally important reminder for you and I to see because it's a reminder that the voice of God is the only voice that finally matters in the life of the church. It's the only voice that has final say over those God has called to himself. And it's really no different for us today than it was for those in Nehemiah's day. Y'all, we gather regularly to hear from God because his is the defining voice in our church and for our lives. Or at least it should be. And by gathering to hear from him, each and every week, you and I are confessing together as a body that God's voice takes precedence over all of the other voices in our 
culture and in our heads that clamor for our attention. Here, listen, make no mistake about it. There are other voices. And they're shouting louder than ever. You know that as well as I do. Sometimes they're also whispering. And you and I, we need the regular reminder. We we need the regular reset, if you will, that returns our hearts and our minds to the primacy of God's voice. That's one of the reasons that we do this week in and week out. So that our week begins over and over and over and over and over again with whose voice? God's voice. So that the world's spell over us is broken week in and week out and we're reminded as we engage the scriptures, that God is sovereign. We've sung about it this morning. That Jesus is alive. We've sung about that too. That we belong to Him. That there's nothing that can change that. And we've been given the gift of the Spirit to walk in a way that honors Christ. And this is... This resetting of our hearts is something that you and I require because guess what? You forget. I forget who we are and whose we are. Otherwise, you and I are going to start looking at our lives through our circumstances. You and I are going to start looking at our lives, our lives through, through the lies and the pretensions of our culture. We're going to start looking at our lives through our personal preferences and our opinions. I wonder this morning if our failures to apply our faith to our Monday to Saturday lives and our struggles to see God at work in those everyday lives are a direct result of our failure to take Sunday worship with the church seriously. Our failure to launch into Monday without first allowing God to remind us on Sunday of whose we are in Christ and how we're to live. Our failure to anchor ourselves to the solid rock of Christ And to do that among the people of God on Sunday mornings before we sell out into the turbulent waters of Monday morning. You see, you and I, you and I need to be, and this is not a real word, but it works. You and I need to be restoried week in and week out. We need to be reminded that we are living, breathing, flesh and bone characters in God's story set in God's world for God's glory. That's what Sunday worship among the people of God accomplishes. And as I said in the first point, what happens here is essentially rehearsal. Every week, you and I, we re-enter in this room the grand story of God when we gather for worship. And every week when we exit this building... We are further equipped to act our part as characters in God's story. By the way, this is our script. 
This is our script. So we gather to hear from God because God's voice is the defining voice in our story. But I want you to watch what happens as the scriptures are read among these people that Nehemiah and Ezra have assembled. Verse 2. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. And on the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all of the people were attentive to the book of the law. Now let's stop right there for just a second. Okay, The passage goes on to name a bunch of people who were standing with Ezra that I'm not going to attempt to name again. Thank you very much. The point is, the point is this, that Everyone gathered at that place in that particular time on that day. The men, the women, and all who could understand, and all who stood with Ezra as he read were real people. Real people to whom the scriptures had been written by a gracious God who wanted his people to know him, not just about him, but to know him and to learn how to relate to him and to walk with him. You see, you and I in the same way, we we gather to hear from God because God's word comes to us as real people in a real place, with real relationships and a real calling. All of those details in this passage are a reminder that like God's word came to them, so God's word comes to us in the midst of our everyday lives. It comes to adults and it comes to kids. It comes to you individually. It comes to you as a husband or a wife. It comes to you as a parent. It comes to you as a business owner or an employee. It comes to you and to me and to us. As this people gathered in this place and in this time. As people with names. With a history filled with memories. Good ones and bad ones. Just like the people of God of the Old Testament, with a history that goes back before we ever arrived on the scene. God's Word comes to us as people with hopes, with fears and frustrations, dreams, desires, struggles. In fact, God's Word ultimately came to us in the form of a person. Right? John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, the Lord Jesus was from somewhere. He had a family tree. He had a particular accent, a particular color of eyes, a sense of humor unique to his personality. Bottom line, he was, and he still is, a real human being. 
who came into the world at a particular time, in a particular place, and among particular people. The incarnation, in other words. The doctrine that we hold fast to, that the Word actually did become flesh, teaches us that our calling is to embody the way of Christ, the self-sacrificial, cross-shaped love of Jesus into the lives of the people that God has placed around us in the body of Christ and in the world. Look, when you and I watch online, it's, it's so easy to simply become consumers of content, especially when we realize that the service and the message will be available at a more convenient time than 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Especially when the sun is shining and the outdoors are cold. But, when you and I make every effort to gather with God's people for worship, You and I are reminded, sitting among other people with histories and dreams, with disappointments and successes, with families and fears, that you and I have not just been called to love in general, you and I have been called to love where? Here. You and I have been called to love who? Look around. Look around. Simply showing up reminds us, again, that it's not all about us. It's ultimately about God, but it's not all about us because it's about us loving who? One another. Simply showing up is also a reminder that you and I are not alone. For years now, Many scientists and researchers have argued that we are in the middle of a loneliness epidemic in our culture. And my suspicion is it's only increased during this season that we are coming out of. Perhaps you're here today and you you feel like you've felt that extensively. And you're just glad to be around other people. A University of Chicago neuroscientist discovered that the region of the brain that's activated when we experience rejection or loneliness is the same reason that registers the pain of stepping on a Lego. Interesting. In other words, loneliness hurts. And the pain can often compound into actual physical sickness. But it's not cured with medication, it's cured with friendship. It's cured with community. It's cured by becoming part of the people that God has placed around us as members of our spiritual family. You and I, we gather as a family of believers who 
have been called into relationship with God and with one another. And we gather in this room on a regular basis to hear God's word and to be reminded that God's word doesn't simply come to me as content to consume like the latest season of Stranger Things. Instead, God's word comes as a message that calls for a response. A response translated into love toward my brothers and sisters in the midst of my everyday life. When you and I come together to hear God's word, we are reminded of that as we look around. In verse 9, we see the people respond to the reading of the scriptures. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep. For the people wept as they heard the words of the law. In fact, these people had been so impacted by the simple reading and hearing of the word that they were emotionally overtaken. It's perhaps something that these particular individuals had not heard for a long time. Some of them maybe even for their entire lives. And so to hear this word from God to them caused great emotional impact and mourning among these people who probably looked back across the history of the nation of Israel and saw nothing of faithfulness toward God. But you see on this day, as we'll see when the passage, as the passage moves along, that they weren't there to celebrate the faithfulness of God's people. They were there to celebrate what? The faithfulness of God. That's exactly right. But the point is, when you and I gather to hear from God, we gather to do so because God meets us through His Word with life-changing power. There was an immediate response from the people. A deep response. In fact, so deep that Ezra and Nehemiah and the other leaders had to refocus them towards celebration rather than mourning. There was a sense among those gathered in Jerusalem on that day that they were hearing God's word for them, intended specifically for them. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever left church wondering how God could possibly speak so directly, so personally, and so powerfully to you? Have you ever become so overcome with emotion that God would do that? Now, I'm not saying that this doesn't happen when we're listening to a sermon or watching someone teach via video. But there's something about being present for real-time reading and the real-time teaching of the Scriptures. How many of you like going to concerts? Okay. It's like the difference between listening to a studio recording of your favorite band alone in the car or even watching a concert recording 
and seeing them live with hundreds, maybe even thousands of other people. One involves just watching, and the other involves witnessing. One involves simply consuming, the other participating. The act of gathering for worship with God's people invites us to move beyond watching from our couches and simply consuming to responding. Now, there's something to be said for the way that you and I approach the Sunday morning worship gathering as we talk about this. In other words, do you and I expect the Lord to be present among us when we show up here? Do you and I come eager to hear from God? Do you and I come eager to please God in response to the things that He teaches us? Nehemiah 8.3 says that the people were attentive to the reading of God's Word. And the reading of God's word that they experienced on that day was not a simple reading of a few verses from one of the five books. Nehemiah says that Ezra read from morning until midday. And the people, young and old, men, women, and children, were attentive. Nehemiah 8.6 says that in response, they lifted up their heads, their hands, and they bowed low to the ground in response to the simple reading of the word. Why? Because they recognized this as the very voice of God in written form. How often do you and I approach the scriptures like that? These people, they received personal help from the Levites, not only hearing but understanding the Scriptures. And once they did, they were impacted. They were personally affected. And I wonder, do you and I come expecting to hear the voice of God? Are we hungry when we come? When you come to worship, you and I come to a table, we come to a meal. A meal that you might not necessarily have chosen or prepared, but what if what's going on that day is not necessarily the meal you want, but the meal you need? What if if God wants to meet needs in the worship gathering of his people that you didn't even know you had? Do you and I approach worship with that kind of hunger and that kind of humility? Finally, we see in the transition moments of this passage that we gather to hear from God because when we do, God gives us the gospel joy that we need to go back into our everyday lives with renewed strength. Watch where the passage goes. Verse 10. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to the Lord. And don't be grieved. The joy of the Lord is your strength. 
So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Don't be grieved. And watch, all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Ultimately, brothers and sisters, when you and I gather and do this week in and week out, when we gather to hear from God, God's ultimate aim is to strengthen you and to build you up so that you can exit this building in the joyful strength of the Lord and go about the calling to love others as Christ has commanded you and equipped you. In other words, the whole point of doing this week in and week out is to receive from God a renewed gospel joy. To be reminded of what Christ has done and who we are in Him and that we have the ever-present power of the Spirit to go forth as His witnesses. You see, the final word of this passage is a reminder that the final word always, always, always spoken over God's people is a good word. A gospel word. A word reminding us that our identity is secure in Christ. And if there's anything we forget, it's that. Each and every week, friends, you and I need to be reminded of what Christ has done, of the fact that we have a share in it through faith in Him, And that He goes before us and goes with us when we exit this building back into our everyday lives to serve Him and to give ourselves away for His glory. It's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Because you and I need to be reminded. Not just up here, but in here. Of what Jesus has done for us. So that's what we're going to do this morning. I want to invite the worship team to come up.